Welcome to Brown Bag Religion, the MF Casser podcast. Welcome, all of you, friends, colleagues present in this room in the library at MF, and all of you following us uh, on Zoom. These are troubled times indeed, uh, and I think we all feel that this is, uh, this is affecting us uh, deeply. In such times, it is uh, important to stay focused also on uh, research, on knowledge, on uh, values, uh, and to stick to our profession in many ways in solidarity with, with people all over and particularly those who are suffering now. And I think that it is particularly uh, apt and uh, I'm really glad to welcome you, Sami Al-Dagistani, colleague here at MF as a postdoctoral fellow, originally from Slovenia. Uh, and with an impressive uh, pilgrimage, in a way, in academic studies from Ljubljana through Sarajevo, Cairo, Rabat, uh, Montreal, Colombia, your PhD from Leiden, uh, and now working here with us uh, with uh, Islamic intellectual history, which is your primary field of research and uh, particularly now we're looking forward to hearing you present your work on Islamic thought uh, and particularly in in regard to economics uh, and uh, we could have had a lot more time than we have so we have to move right on to what we do you have 10 to 12 to 14 13 minutes something like that to present your uh, interesting work and then we will have the time for Q&A here in the room or uh, via Zoom. So please Sami, welcome and the floor is yours. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and to all of you for uh, being here. Uh, before I start, I might actually just hand the books around. So this one is the current one. This one is from last year, but the book was not published yet. It's in related subjects, so I thought I might just send it around as well. Um, so this is one of a few book talks that I have this year on this specific subject. So given that this is a, you know, a largely an unspecialized crowd in Islamic <laughs> studies, um, I decided to focus on key themes, present some key issues in the book, rather than really to delve deeper into you know, the moral self and uh, Islamic economic um, philosophy per se. Um, so I will start very briefly with the modern economic um, thought and its critique, and then delving a little bit deeper into the pre-modern or classical um, intellectual history. Um, and I should point out, it's to well mentioned that I'm an intellectual historian of Islam, meaning that I'm trained neither as a theologian nor as a social scientist per se, right? Um, but in Islamic studies, which I think allows me to delve into or tap into specific types of knowledge because I perceive Islamic studies to be from the very outset interdisciplinary in nature, right? And, and this is in part reflected, I think, also um, in the book. So this book really is in part then from, from how I understood it as um, an exercise in critiquing not only the field of economics per se, but rather the existing division of sciences as well, the, the, the division of knowledge as we understand it in 21st and 20th century. 
So I look into the genealogy of economic philosophy um, in early modern Europe, but also the neo-science of Islamic economic project more specifically. So therefore the study of economic ideas, be it past or present, be it classical or contemporary, should be seen in this larger context um, and through what I would say is intellectual history in Islam um, and related to the so-called, and I'll explain what that means, the moral self, right? And not necessarily from a perspective of an economist, of a legal scholar, or, or of a theologian per se. So having said that, I believe that economic ideas emerge out of social systems and not the other way around, right? Economic ideas are embedded in specific social, even political or cultural context and not the other way around. That means that they are born within a specific historic moments. So in the modern era, then concepts pertaining to economic theories, financial markets, and so on and so forth, manifest obviously a particular epistemological reason or even political reality, right? Um, in which economic provisions are made to be objective themselves. And this in comparison to the pre-modern or classical period is absolutely um, not the case in Islamic, uh, in Islamic context. This obviously has been facilitated by, then by the modern nation state apparatus as well. While as we well know, universities and academic departments throughout the world, they have fostered um, you know, the study of economics as a science on its own, right? And again, if you compare it with the pre-modern reasoning, obviously this was not the case for a set of you know, reasons behind it. So the starting um, point then in, in the book is that I argue that modern Muslim scholars have taken the existence of a modern nation state for granted. And including, and you know, to some of you, this might, be, this might be news to some, including many Islamist thinkers. If you think of Abu, Abu Alal Maududi from Pakistan, or even to an extent Sayyid Qutub and other Islamist thinkers at the turn of the century. So I argue that contemporary Islamic economics was really, or has been ideologically constructed through a set of mechanisms of conventional economic systems. And then it was made Islamic through, and this is obviously a technical term, through Islamization of knowledge process, whereby you quote unquote, Islamize a set of processes or mechanisms, be it you know, from a top-down approach or even a bottom-up approach. Um, you know, we could look at a specific examples of Pakistan or Malaysia or even throughout the Arab, um, throughout the Arab world. <coughs> what does that actually mean, right? It means that um, to an extent vocabulary, a set of methodologies, the very conception of knowledge as well, as they were put forward by first European philosophers and early, early um, economists in early modern Europe, um, they have been presented as objective. That's number one, right? They have been presented as objective and second as scientific and third as universally valid. And this is obviously highly problematic um, because to a degree they were incorporated in other non-European, in our context, obviously Islamic systems of thought, right? So my book tries to kind of go, goes head on and really tackles these issues not only on economic issue, on economic level, but first and foremost on both, I would say, epistemologically and also ethically. 
Since the 1960s, 1970s onward, the Islamic economic project always presented itself as an alternative economic system to neoliberal capitalism and socialism, right? And this is then the catch, that such theories disregard not only the, the classical scholars of pre-modern Muslim thinkers, because they were always cast as you know, being unscientific, uh, irrelevant, and so on and so forth, but also what I would claim is the epistemic value of pre-modern scholarship, right? Because this book is in part um, studying the classical scholarship from eight to 15, roughly to 15th century, um, which includes up to maybe a dozen scholars. Yet there are many, many more that have been you know, either un not analyzed or not are not included in this, in this particular project. Um, however, the scholarship is there, it's present, right? One just has to kind of delve into these types of works and really analyze them through primary sources. So this then brings me to the classical period and the classical scholarship. While contemporary Muslim economists um, often invoke ethical reasoning or even religious sources such as the Quran and the, you know, the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and so on and so forth, they rarely made an in-depth analysis of the pre-modern um, scholarship as it pertains to legal, philosophical, Sufi mystical, but also theological ideas, right? And the, the gist of the book, which is really contained in the third chapter, um, takes this issue seriously, right? So I try to, in the third chapter, I try to look into the intellectual contributions of classical scholars, um, by analyzing primary sources, some pertain to legal scholarship, some to Sufi or mystical, what we would call, right, the Savuf in Arabic, Sufi mystical um, tradition, others to philosophical slash theological. And their relation to what I call Sharia's cosmological system. Now, obviously, we're going to need the whole semester to, you know, dissect what Sharia is and what is not, and how it's different from Islamic law as well. Um, and how that is different from substantive or even penal law. Uh, but think of cosmological system as it pertains to a set of ethical standards, norms, or even teachings in my context, obviously within that which is called economic spiritual development, okay? Why? Because I claim that that which, which is economic is not only material, but profoundly immaterial. Right? It doesn't pertain only to production processes and how to obtain wealth and what you do with that wealth, but also to behavior patterns that usually form you know, part of one's religious obligations. Right? So it's a matter of how you behave, what kind of, um, what kind of um, inner processes one goes through by reading those ethical and Sufi um, texts, for instance. So classical thinkers then, unlike their contemporary counterparts, did not obviously separate disciplines. So economics would not be its own science, but was really amalgamated into a, a set of philosophical, ethical, and other uh, considerations that really did not denude the moral cosmology, right? And hence I put forward the idea that this is a process within Sharia as a cosmological system because it's all encompassing, right? One could claim that the cosmological system of Sharia entails economic teachings as part of wider um, metaphysical, even spiritual considerations. 
um, and also really ties into what I call the technology of self-examination because it does pertain to that which is, you know, in Arabic called the qalb or the batin or the ruh or the nafs, right? And this, this is a set of different um, concepts as um, qalb would mean the heart, for instance, batin would mean the inner self, zahir uh, is the outer or the external, uh, ruh is the, the spirit and nafs is the soul. So, you know, the basic idea is that that which is economic, again, is not only material, but is profoundly ethical or moral as well. Why? Because it boils down to your personal engagement with yourself, right? Um, by ways of, of conclusion, um, I would say that economic ideas in Islamic tradition cannot be solved only through mathematical solutions, which has been actually presented within Islam, uh, economic science to a large extent in the last you know, few centuries, right? So, which is called mathematical deductivism. So the solution is not to apply mathematics to the, to the science of economics or to apply a social science perspective. Why? Because the issues are much broader, they're metaphysical, and in essence, they are, they're ethical, right, in nature. What this requires then is a, a new hermeneutical reading of the subject that really perceives economic behavior as part and parcel of what I call a polyvalent, a multifaceted reading of the subject, whereby economic, and I'm not using the word economics because it's a modern term, but that which is economic is not its own subject, but really um, a, a part of an, of an interdisciplinary understanding of the discipline, right? This further means that ultimately what is needed is one, a critical appraisal of contemporary Islamic economic projects, because I see that they tap into already existing division of sciences and understanding of knowledge uh, pertaining to you know, already formed concepts such as economics, for instance. Uh, and second, also a critical appraisal or partial rejection of Eurocentric um, supremacy, if you will, of dominant epistems not only again within economic science, but also within a broader spectrum within social um, sciences. I could go uh, on and on, uh, but I think it makes sense if I maybe wrap up at this point and I look forward to, uh, to the discussion. So thank you so much.